So this morning, uh, Tom uh, Tom Knight's going to be our speaker, and he has chosen scripture from Matthew. So uh, Mariana's going to read this morning's scripture. This is taken from Matthew 27, 50, and 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. I believe Mark Goodwin has our prayer today, Mark, so I will turn it over to you. Okay, could we pray together? Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day, and thank you that we can gather as family to be reminded of the grace that we have from you and the mercy, the many, many gifts that you give us, and we say thank you for that. And as we gather, we are reminded of those in our class that are not doing so well, who are struggling physically. We pray your blessings upon each of those that were named. And I ask that yeah. you would be with those who will be having surgery uh, later this week. We pray that you would be the great physician who oversees these uh, situations and bring peace and comfort to each one uh, that is involved. We pray for our teacher this morning that you would uh, give him clarity of thinking and may he uh, point us to you this morning and may our hearts be encouraged by the good news of your redemption, the good news of your grace in our lives. We pray for our nation this morning, Father. We are saddened that we are so divided and there's so much conflict and we ask that we as your followers would be salt and light in the midst of the chaos that we are experiencing. And we ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Thank you that we can come to you and that we can rest. I pray, oh God, that your will would be done this day in our lives. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Thanks, Mark. Okay, Tom, you have the floor. All right. Um, it's, it's a pleasure being with you this morning. I consider it an honor to teach this class every time I have the opportunity. And up front, I think all of you know that uh, I am not about to be a, a teacher of the quality of Mark Goodwin or Bob Fleur or many of the others that have spoken to our class recently. Um, but I hope that you will bear with me. I've spent a lot of time working on this lesson today. And um, I have found that if I ad lib through this lesson, I'm going to lose the meat of the lesson. So I'm going to try to stay on my script and go through this as, as, as I possibly can. Um, today's lesson is about, about the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's a book found very near the end of the Old Test of the New Testament. And uh, uh, many of you may be wondering why on earth I chose a scripture from Matthew and then had the book of Hebrews as a subject of today's lesson. Well, there's a simple answer to that. Uh, the scripture tells us that at the moment Jesus died on the cross, a new covenant began. The old covenant, the one established by Moses as directed by God some 1,500 years earlier, had been replaced. For Christians, this is highly significant. The book of Hebrews is all about this new covenant, and that's the reason I chose today's scripture. It's all about how we relate to God and how we interface with God. Hebrews was one of the last books added to our Bible sometime around uh, the late you know, the late 13th or uh, 3rd century. But Hebrews was written much earlier, probably around 70 AD. This was a critical time for the early Christians. 
Nero had burned Rome in 64 AD and blamed it on the Christians. This immediately led to a major round of prosecution, uh, persecution, and the Hebrew history, uh, and the Hebrew persons that had, were now young Christians were the, uh, the blunt of all of that persecution. But most of these Christians would have had a very strong Jewish background. They knew their history very well, but the Christian faith was something new to them. We simply don't know who wrote the book of Hebrew. Um, at one point in time, Paul was considered to be the author, but the writing style is totally different from other, uh, Paul's other letters. So he now is not really considered as a possibility. Um, at one time, Barnabas was possibly considered, but he didn't identify himself. The book of Hebrews has uh, no identified author. Neither do we know precisely what church it was addressed to, other than the fact that it was a, a, a group of early Christians. Um, these people uh, knew their history very, very well. Um, at one point in time, uh, authors were uh, possibly considered as Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, they lived in Rome and were active in the early church, and they taught classes in their home. The big problem with them is Priscilla, heaven forbid, was a female. Oh, my gosh. And at that point in time, females were not considered to have any kind of uh, literary ability to know how to write and prepare this book. So take that for what it's worth. Today, we would be glad to have Aquila and Priscilla as having been the author of the book of Hebrews. One thing we do know for sure, the book was copied and it was widely circulated among the early Christian churches in the second and third century. Its theology is totally in keeping with the Christian beliefs. And for me, it provides a very important linkage between the Old and the New Testament. Hebrews was obviously written to a congregation of early Christians that were beginning to shy away from their Christian beliefs. They were drifting back to their Hebrew history. They were quite likely to begin to how the new church could possibly replace everything that their history and beliefs had been associated with. And they were being persecuted, my gosh. And their Hebrew friends that were storing to the synagogue were not being persecuted. It's also quite possible that they had uh, elderly grandparents living in their home. And for the Hebrews, the oldest person in the family was the boss. Furthermore, they had no place to worship themselves. The Hebrews were still going back to the synagogue, but the early Christian church was forced to meet in homes and in many times in, in secret. Furthermore, their teacher had said that Jesus was coming back soon. Well, my gosh, what's taking him so long? After all, it's been over 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. Okay, for us today, it's more like 2,000 years. The author of Hebrews was concerned that these people would abandon their faith there new faith and fall back in their, to their, their Jewish background. He or she wanted to, convince, to, wanted to convince these people that Christ was far greater than anything the old covenant could offer, greater than the angels, greater than Moses and the prophets, and even greater than the Hebrew high priest. Now this morning, I'm going to skip the part about the angel and Moses and the prophet and concentrate on or begin the lesson with the high priest. Under the old covenant, as established by Moses, as directed by God, the Levite priests were responsible for representing God to, uh, to the people, representing the people to God. 
The priests were responsible for presenting the sacrifices and to God, praying for the people and conducting the religious ceremony. From the Levites, one and only one high priest was selected. The writer of Hebrews had to prove that Christ was greater than even this very high priest. Talking about Christ, he says, this is one of those therefore messages that we're going to encounter several times in today's lesson. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, the, the people in the early church re remembered and recognized that their high priest, the Hebrew faith, was just an ordinary man like all the rest of us. He just happened to be dressed up in a real fancy um, garment and robe on the Day of Atonement. But he was subject to sin, just like all of us are. But Jesus came along, and he was no ordinary man. He was the Son of God. He was sinless. He offered up his life as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Who could ask for anything more? But the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He says that Jesus is of the order of Meshelzadek. Now, who on earth is Meshelzadek? Um, philosophers and historians have wondered about this for thousands of years. Meshelzadek is mentioned only three places in our Bible, in the book of Hebrews, as we'll talk about this morning, in Genesis, and again in Psalms 110. In Genesis, Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, after he was called by God to enter the Holy Land, become the father of the Hebrew nation, he encounters Meshelzadek on, uh, along his journey into the land of Canaan. Meshelzadek is described as a priest of God Most High. He's also identified as the king of Salem, which means the king of, of peace. Meshelzadek praises God for leading Abraham to his successes along his journey. Abraham honors Meshelzadek with a tithe. Now keep in mind that this was several hundred years before uh, God had directed Moses to establish an order of Levite, Levite priests. Meshelzadek seems to have been around before the beginning of Hebrew history. He must have been around worshiping the holy God even before Abraham got his calling. In Psalms 110, David says that the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be a priest forever in the order of Meshelzadek. Well, that would predate the Hebrews by about a thousand years, but it provides us with a very important linkage into um, Hebrew history or the history of our faith. Meshelzadek, in spite of the fact that we know nothing more about this character, must have had a very important meaning to the Hebrew people. The order of Hebrews says that Meshelzadek is without genealogy, without a beginning or an end. He was there before the beginning of time. Sounds like a Christ figure to me. My Life Applications Bible in its footnotes suggests that the Meshelzadek event in Genesis is so closely related to Christ that it sends us a message. For me, it's a stunning message. It's a stunning proof that Christ was around from the very beginning. As we have discussed earlier, under the Old Covenant, the Hebrew faith, uh, in the Hebrew faith, the high priest presented a very special sacrifice to God on the Day of Atonement. This act of atonement was repeated every year 
because everyone, including the high priest, had sinned. But Jesus was sinless, and he offered his life as a perfect and complete sacrifice for everyone who accepts him as his Lord and Savior. No need for anything more. We celebrate this in our communion services. At the moment Christ died, the old covenant established by God through Moses hundreds of years before ended and a new covenant began. Today's scripture describes the event pretty vividly. A curtain torn in two at the very moment Christ died on the cross. That curtain in the Hebrew temple separated the holiest place from the people. Only the high priest, only one person was allowed past that curtain. But when Christ died on the cross, that curtain disappeared. And now when the curtain is removed, everyone, even you and me, were allowed free and open access to God. This is the message of the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews goes to great lengths to prove that the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant. For us, it's pretty significant, but for the Hebrew people, that would be some a big drastic change. William Barclay tells us that since the time of the great Hebrew philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, about 500 years before the death of Christ on the cross, people had sought an open access to the gods. The Greeks believed in two worlds, the worlds where we, world where we and we mortals live, and then another world totally separate from where the gods live. They saw the, our world as a shadow land with only imperfect things. God's world was perfect. It was a world of truth. I think about the scriptures that Paul had written about, now we three see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Well, the Greeks got part of that thing correct, but then they built great temples and worshiped gods they themselves had created. With all due respect to Plato, that just does not compute. How could they be worshiping a God that they is in, created in their own imagination? The new covenant offers us that long sought out access to the one and only true God. It's something we often take for granted today. But for these early Christians, it must have been a great re revelation. No longer was God something remote, something hidden behind a curtain. Now they could take their sorrows and their doubts directly to God, a God who actually loved them. This must have given them a great reassurance that God was with them, even in times of great peril and trial. Persecution would follow that was even worse than the uh, persecution they had suffered under Nero. But somehow, this new covenant worked. The early church survived through periods of great persecution at the hands of the Romans. And it's still alive for us today in the good old USA, but also in places much different from ours, in places where Christian beliefs are not allowed. Okay, so far, I've probably told you things that you already knew. Sorry if I insulted your intelligence. Just remember, we're all Christians under construction. But in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews to something of more impact for all of us. And it's about how we should live under the new covenant. Verse 10 begins with one of those famous therefore things. And I'll go through this, the, the succeeding verses, sort of one verse at a time, highlighting each one and then referring back to the scripture itself. Okay, here we go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Drawing near to God means worship, not just on Sunday, but praising God through all of our daily activities, communicating with God on a regular basis through prayer. It's a very important thing for me personally, and it's very important for us um, in, in, in all of our faith journey. Okay, then he says, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess so that we, for he who promised is faithful. That's mean, that means for us to remain strong to our Christian faith, even in time of persecution and doubt. Jesus will not fail us. Who knows how our faith is about to be challenged, even in the United States. We must hold hard, fast to our faith. Now, returning back to the scripture, and let us consider how may we may be, we may spur, spur one another onward toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some of us are in habit of doing. Now that's out of the scripture. Not I didn't make that up myself, but encouraging one another. Pardon me. Today's challenge, challenges through the virus have made meeting together quite difficult. Zoom has helped a lot, but it's not the same thing. Most of our covenant groups have continued to meet in some form or another. For me, and also with many of you, this has been a huge blessing. All of us have ups and downs in our faith journey. We all need to be around other people, encouraging us through their experience and who help us in our following of the Jesus word. Um, CUC hasn't had a much of a problem with people dropping out though. It seems to me that our attendance has held fast even through this very difficult time, even when we are meeting only through Zoom. Further in chapter 10, the offer challenges us to uh, strive forward toward the elimination of sin in our lives. Barclay, William Barclay reminds us that, get this now, the greatest handicap to the church today is the unsatisfactory lives that some professing Christians live. Wow. How does that make you feel? Was Barclay talking about me? I hope not. William Barclay says that the great message of Hebrews is in access to God through the new covenant. That clearly was a major change for the early church, and especially for those coming from a Jewish background. For me, however, there is one strong message in the book of Hebrews. It's a different message beyond the new covenant. For me, the great message of Hebrews is the linkage it provides between the old covenant and the new from the history of Genesis to the death and resurrection of Christ on the cross. It's all in accordance with God's great plan for us. And Jesus was a part of that plan from the very beginning. This guy, Michelle Zedek, sounds very much like Jesus to me. Genesis says he was the high priest of the most high God. Note that this was before Abraham even entered the land of Canaan, 400 years before we knew anything about a Hebrew nation. We often think of the Old Testament as a history of the Hebrew people. Well, it is in many respects, but here in Genesis, we see a Christ-like figure entering the world, talking to us, to Abraham, long before the beginning of the Hebrews. I believe that Jesus was, was, get, was with God at the very beginning of time. Together, they called the Hebrew people to prepare a world for the coming of Jesus on earth. That event led us to a new relationship with God the Father. All of this in accordance with God's plan. God wants us to be a part of his plan, just as the Hebrew people were. But God's plan involves people of all faiths. It was the way, it was that way from the beginning. It is today. 
and it will continue to be until Jesus comes back. Our job is to get things ready for the second coming. In the United States, we are at least, at the moment, one nation under God. Jesus taught us to be good citizens, pay our taxes, and I'm sure he would also expect us to vote. Martha and I voted yesterday over at the uh, at the Fulton County Library in Roswell. Um, we had no delays at all. I don't think we were there more than about 10 or 15 minutes. The upcoming election, election is critical and some of our fundamental beliefs and rights could be at stake. Let us move forward with the assurance that our true leader is Jesus Christ himself. He's our king, not someone in Washington, D.C. We love him and praise him no matter what the future holds. His plan for us began before the beginning of time. He will not fail. He never has and he never will. We've covered only parts of the book of Hebrews this morning. I encourage you to study this fine book on your own. It's a very important message for us today, just as it was to the early Christian church. I want to close with one more quote from the book of Hebrews. This is the way it goes. Another therefore. Sounds sort of like Paul, but it's not. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the brace marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. So be it. That's all. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.